0: And welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, episode 28. What an exciting week of rugby we have to chat about this week. I am super pumped. How are you, Ando?
1: Mate, hey, I'm equally, equally pumped. We've had to delay our recording tonight a little bit, but really that's just made the excitement run even deeper. So I'm ready to, to like, chat. I'm ready to get into it.
0: Yep. Just had to hold off the the excited talk a little bit longer. <laughs> but, um, it's all good i've been wanting to
1: talk to my wife about it all day but she just does not care so Dad, <laughs> you can be my step-in wife mate it's great
0: yeah awesome my wife's had some interesting things to say about this as well so it's been good it's been a good day um but yeah thanks for joining us everyone so episode 28 it's been a long season we're, we're getting towards the end of the domestic season which is exciting. Um, but who we are, what we do, first of all. So we're two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly and positive. Get involved.
1: Get involved. So if you awesome. want to hit us up on social media, everybody, uh, we've got three main ones that we're getting pretty active on. So Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page. And then on Twitter at pick and underscore drive rugby so get in touch with us there we've been having a lot of good chats over the Wallabies announcements on our various uh twitter profiles on your personal my personal and the podcast one yeah um so it's been a lot going on it's been great it's been a
0: lot going on so what we're going to cover tonight we've got a lot to cover actually first of all we will talk about some of the very spicy and exciting news that came out this week um i will save those exciting things for the news section but we did have the Wallaby squad announced earlier this afternoon. So that is definitely going to take up probably a large chunk of tonight's episode. We did have the Super Rugby AU semi final or qualifying final played last night. So we will talk about that as well. And then we'll do a quick overview of the final next week and um, just give our predictions.
1: Anything Brilliant else, man, Andrew, why you'd why like you? to throw in there? No, nah, no. Nah, I'm That's good. It. Let's go. I'm just excited. Right. I want to get into it.
0: Let's get into the news. So. First of all, this is the this is the biggest news. It felt like Christmas when this came out this week. But it has finally <laughs> yeah. been announced that the rugby championship is going ahead this year and Australia is going to
1: host it. Which
0: Woohoo! is How
1: fantastic. Awesome. Mate, it was pretty crazy because the the big news, well the big conversation points around this for the last like Two months, really, had been that New Zealand was going to be the host of the rugby championship. That was largely because of the um, success that they'd had in kind of getting rid of, mostly getting rid of coronavirus in New Zealand. But it seems like the restrictions that New Zealand government are placing on inbound travel were too great to overcome or enable the South African and Argentinian teams to effectively get there and prepare. So for a whole bunch of other reasons as well, yeah, Australia is the host. And it's going to be New South Wales and Queensland who are the two states hosting games. Well, so New that's South exciting. Wales,
0: predominantly. So it's, it looks like we're going to have... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what what the plan is at, at this stage is the Wallabies will go over to New Zealand and play two Bledisloe Cup tests on, a, on New Zealand soil. Then they'll come back and they'll play the third one in Queensland and then we'll move into the rugby championships, which will be predominantly located in New South Wales due to, well, currently the the borders in Queensland being closed. If there is some changes around that at the time, being that this will happen in November, maybe they might be able to host a few more games if their teams and players are allowed to travel back and forth across the border. But if it was to be played today or next week, it would be definitely being located in New South Wales. Yeah, I mean, there's
1: been a fair bit of chat about issues with the start of the um, the Pledisloe, where the first two games, like you said, are going to be played in New Zealand, and uh, NZRU are pushing to have them start. I think the date was the 10th of October. Yeah, um, that's the date I mean, that it was, was initially crazy that, in. that they're initially putting forward. But Rennie's basically said, look, if we do that. We have to like leave Australia on Monday after the Super Rugby final. Do they have to leave f- next Monday? Yeah, and then they have to go over. They have to have a certain amount of mandatory days in isolation with the players, just in their rooms, not even allowed to be in a bubble, but physically confined to the hotel rooms. And only then can they actually start. They would have like two weeks of underground prep as a squad, whereas New Zealand are there prepping right now as New Zealand squad. Um, well, i think in Ruby a time frame that they time. were
0: looking if they were to go with that one the time frame they were looking at was that the wallabies would basically be training together full as a team for the first time a week out from the first test which is yeah, just which is just ridiculous
1: yeah so at the moment the good situation is that australia might be forcing new zealand to push it back by one week yeah to start on october 17th now that's obviously still not ideal and i mean the I am hopeful, but realistic, and I don't think we're going to win either game in New Zealand. But if we get pretty significantly beaten in the first game, you can understand why we're yes. going up against New Zealanders who have been together for that, at that point, well over a month. And then the Australian, the Wallabies have been together as a full squad uh, for what? Three weeks, two weeks. It, it just weeks. makes the it's whole task
0: of going to New Zealand and playing the all blacks even harder. Yep. Uh, it's yep. but yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, regardless of, the the good thing to think about uh, about this is for us uh, as um new south wales residents we are going to get access to some pretty juicy rugby and have very exciting hopefully have the chance to get out there and see some games so i did read a few articles this week that did say that they're looking at a few different models of how this is going to work they've got three um stadiums in mind to be hosting the rugby champions at this stage which will be Parramatta. um ANZ Stadium out at um, Olympic Park and Newcastle, and the other model yep. that they're looking at is having uh, back-to-back games, so double headers essentially. So playing two tests on the same day at the same ground, which would be absolutely unbelievable to be able to get to. That would be see so like good. The All Blacks take on South Africa, and then a few hours later, see Australia host Argentina or s- some variation of that, which would just incredible.
1: That would be absolutely wonderful. And the best news for us is that you and I can get to any of the venues uh, very without too much of a stress. Exactly. So we, we have a lot of rugby coming up in our future, my friend, and that is good, good news. Um, well, should we just keep moving on? Now, when we're talking about the rugby championship, we also need to look at Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a whole host of issues around Argentinian players and even Mario would Lindo- as with a coach testing positive to COVID. Um, from what I understand, they're all asymptomatic, have all isolated. And from what um, Rob Clark was saying in an interview I watched today, that they're far enough out from when the competition is meant to start that it shouldn't yeah. actually impact their participation. But Argentina do not have a domestic competition that's going on, and they're going to be incredibly short on game time. So we may well see three Argentinian games prior to the rugby championship. If not, two more. of them played against. If not more, two of them played against Australia A, and a minimum of one being played against a Super Rugby team. Mm. So that is just incredible. So we could also see kind of like a up-and-comers Australia A team um, chosen to see people like I don't know Will Harrison and Noah Lalesio uh, front out and lead the team around it'd just be awesome to see these young boys just take the field and against a fully fledged international team and just see how they stack up
0: yeah I think this is a really important point that's come out this week about this uh it'll particularly tie into when we chat through the Wallaby squad that was announced today uh, a little bit later in the pod but I do definitely feel like some of the players that are in that expanded team have been put in there to be playing in this Australia A side may not get any time in the actual rugby championship itself but it is something we will look at a bit later. Um, I also have a feeling, I don't know, I've, I've heard this anywhere, but it's just a personal feeling that Argentina will most likely play the Brumbies, I would say.
1: That's what I was
0: thinking, yeah. So at the ACT gets it. Yeah, game. like take it down to ACT, play it there, and then, yep. you know, keep the Canberra fans happy. And um, <laughs> But at the same time, they very well could play a rugby champs game or two down in Canberra as well. So.
1: I think they I'll, should. I don't and, see any issue why they wouldn't.
0: Yeah travel i think and yeah it just might be a bit much um because i don't think they'd be able to take the whole team all four teams down to canberra they would fill up every hotel in canberra
1: <laughs> <laughs> well Standard maybe just be a, uh, a drive-in drive-out kind of thing stop off at certain forest mac on the way back can if you imagine you win, working there and the all blacks rock yeah. up after a test <laughs> route. now they go drive through mate they wouldn't get out <laughs> they'd send the place
0: broke um, <laughs> just take everything, but, uh, yeah, well, we've got just a few other points to to just cover off before we move on to the weekly game. So, um, South Africa has missed out on joining the expanded six nations competition. This actually was announced prior to the talks of the rugby championship this week. So we kind of knew that something was in, in the works when it was announced that it's going to be an eight nation competition. It's being called the autumn nations cup. It will include Georgia and I've just had a mind blank. Who's the other Fiji. team? Fiji. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I was like, Japan? No, they left. Um, so the expanded eight nations cup, which will kick off later in the year. It's interesting to know in this one that this is the first time for a long time in Europe that this competition is not going to be shown on free to air television It is. it has been bought. The rights for this competition have been bought by Amazon and will be streamed around the world exclusively on Amazon Prime.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And what that does is a couple of things. It opens it up to a global market. Um, It also, in a way, might narrow the audience base because we know that Six Nations are an event in Europe that your non-diehard rugby fan would actually watch because it's on free-to-air. It's like the Football World Cup. Um, many people watch the football World Cup that won't watch every soccer match. Yeah. Um. So it would be the same like that over in the in the United Kingdoms or Europe. So maybe that'll change things there. There is a little um, bit of an I'm, asterisk um,
0: next to that as well, though. They did say that there was, I think, one round they were hosting on free to air in Europe, and I think that was when England played Ireland. Okay. Not much sure why um, but
1: yeah. The thing I just want to quickly mention is I'm actually really happy that this has happened. Number one, so that South Africa are actually a part of the Rugby Championship yep. and not a part of this Eight Nations Comp. But two, because I strongly believe that Georgia should be a part mm. of any expanded model of the Six Nations. Definitely. They yeah. are without a doubt the best European team that's not a part of it. In many ways, you could argue they're better than Italy. And <laughs> they Jeez. have they have been committing to rugby and been getting some fairly strong world rugby union support for a while now and i think that if they were to be shafted for south africa then what that does is it essentially puts tier two nations back down in their place and says that they're not valued and they're not considered an integral part of the full international scene so i'm very happy for georgia well done i'm looking forward to them absolutely pumping italy although i don't think they actually will i think they'll beat them but i'm not sure if they'll a be a pumping one-sided match <laughs> it won yeah i don't think it will what about Fiji, but way, that's good so yeah that'll be super exciting um that uh, georgia vs Fiji will be so fun so they, they
0: were in the same world cup pool last year yeah
1: yeah yeah they were. i can't remember they the were. outcome
0: though oh they won. Georgia won. won georgia won georgia won Oh no, Uruguay yeah. won. Was one of the one of the nations beat Fiji. Uh, Uruguay that, beat Fiji. Beat, yeah. That's
1: right. Yeah. Uruguay. Okay. Uh, uh, it was forty-five to ten um, to Oof. Fiji. Yeah. So that was just way, a the way. The forward play in that game would just be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um,
0: why don't we? I'm just before we move off this this one. Um, I just want to say I'm really excited by the fact that Amazon's bought into this, and from what I've been reading this week, it sounds like Amazon's actually wanting to expand their portfolio into sport into the sport market and they want to actually expand their rugby ownership. So that, who knows what's happening with the Australian rugby broadcast. We haven't heard anything for next year, but who knows if Amazon was to come in and sweep in out of the blue and take the, take the rights to win that, that might be something that came straight out of left field. Who knows?
1: Just a little side point to follow up with that broadcasting. Um, if you go to the Fox Rugby website, uh, foxsports.com, then you'll have a look at their news page. And as of 10pm night, with the Wallaby squad getting into a whole bunch about that, there is still not an article about the Wall- Well, do they have anyone and- there? Well, I don't know. Because Christy Doran was doing now.
0: all their stuff and he's now with rugby.com.au. So
1: um, Yeah, they don't have a... De- but yeah. anyway, my point basically is to show... Well, that's how much Fox cares about Rugby Union at yeah, the moment. Yeah, they've closed it uh, up Yeah, they really have. Um, that reminds okay, me, actually, there was quite an, an interesting
0: article written by someone on The Raw this week about broadcasts. Oh, who
1: was there? Yeah, I, did, I, I can't remember that. who it was that wrote it. Just some mm. nobody, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, well, that part's definitely right. Um, so <laughs> for those of you who, who don't know, I put an article up on The Raw, which went up yesterday on Saturday. And it was basically just talking in kind of general terms, just about how the there's a bit of a vacuum that has come about with the demise of Fox Sports coverage of rugby. I mean, technically, they're still covering the game, but the quality and the investment that they're putting into it has reduced drastically, as you can see through the cutting of basically the entire team. Um, both report both kind of commentators or analysts and journalists and so what that has brought up over the last really since this year's competition has begun is the rise of kind of independent media Mm. and so you have people like us you have people like the Aussie rugby show which is basically the Cut Fox Sports people <laughs> forming their own show. It really is. Um, you've got, yeah, it's great. Um, you've got the Type 5 with Benny Kimber and Morgan Tiranui. You've got Green and Gold still doing their thing. You've got, uh, like, there's a whole bunch. There's more that I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Rugby Nation's going really well, actually. Rugby.com.au have put out a lot more content over the last six months than I've seen yeah. them put out before. Yeah. And they're doing a really good job of it in, like, multiple different types. So that just, I, would, I just wanted to write about that and just speak to the fact that, that it's, it brings a bit of hope that there's enough of a dedicated fan base that mm. people are willing to take their time and invest in something that they're probably not getting paid for. I know <laughs> when or. not. Um, and yeah, just, just talk about the game that they love. So it makes me think that there is hope. And what I'd actually love to see more of is more analysis yeah. of the games. So getting into the technical analysis side of things would be absolutely yeah. fantastic. Definitely. Um, but
0: hey, anyway, that's just a cool little thing I wrote. But yeah, if, you're, so if you it haven't out. read it, go check it out. It's a good read. Would recommend it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Last bit of news before we move on to the game was the infamous Owen Farrell has been given five-week suspension, a uh, five-five-match suspension. It was initially ten. It got halved due to his community service. Um, there's a little bit of uh, social media back and forth around (laughs) this one um people aren't happy with the how little he got essentially they were hoping for a lot more i I personally think that it's it's justified i think um he's he's five weeks yeah five weeks is it's big enough it's five weeks not five games isn't it
1: uh i can't recall i know the number was five i can't remember which one
0: okay anyway that's basically it
1: thoughts from you on this Uh, one? Look, James Haskell put out a really good in the, uh, the good, the bad and the rugby. He yep. spoke to this and basically said, look, he, he played with Owen. He knows him pretty darn well. And he said, yes, Owen has an issue with his tackling technique. Owen also hasn't been playing rugby for multiple months. And so is Rusty. There is no doubt that he hit the guy high. There is no doubt that he definitely did not intend to hit him high and potentially seriously hurt him. But it was a flaw in his technique. And yes, he should get a consequence for it, like a punishment like any other player. But the vitriol that's going around saying, oh, he's a filthy player. He's <laughs> a horrible human being. He meant to go and do this. He meant to go. Haskell's basically said, just, just all the way to crap. That's people grandstanding and just wanting to get on their high horse when they don't actually know the player or know professional rugby and what it's like to play. It's a decision that he made, which was a bad decision as a result of, well, it was a bad decision, which was impacted by poor technique. And that needs to be corrected, and it will be. And he'll he'll have a punishment. He'll cop it, and nobody will be hurting mentally more than Owen Farrell about this because he has such a drive and a desire to win, and he knows he's let his team down. So yeah, yeah I mean, that was actually just a ref-
0: Yeah, I, I do understand that side of things as well. But I personally, I think um, he's the captain of the England team, so he needs to be setting a better example and doing um, things like this. Poor technique and the fact that he hasn't played for a few months doesn't really cut it at this level, especially with the experience that he has. And the consequence is that the guy that he hit has actually missed the next two games and could potentially not play for the rest of the season due to sustained um, concussions. So that's a big yep. thing, especially considering that he's yeah. such a young bloke and it was like his
1: second game. So, yeah, it's, it's big. Yeah, I, but, I, I um, guess my point... My point was less, or at least the point that I believe Haskell was making, yep. was less um, not trying to excuse him for it, but trying to take away from the malice and the slander of his character, mm. which, and to separate those two yep. um, out. Anyway, I think that's enough on that topic. Cool. We want to talk about other things. We do. All right, mate. Uh, shall we finish this up and then move into the semifinal? All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, now we get to move to the exciting game on the weekend which was the semi-final or the qualifying final I think what yeah, it's so called. Yeah, so we call between... it a semi-final but they're calling it a qualifying final, so whatever it's the final before the final which in my mind is a semi so who cares the point basically is the queensland reds hosted the melbourne rebels and ended up getting up 25 to 13 so the reds are through to the big dance with the brumbies now before yeah. we go any further we have a bunch of tips that we need to quickly roll through and see who gets the chockies for this week so That's Mitchell, right. over to you
0: okay so our tips for last week Ender, you said reds by 16 I said Reds by 14. We had oh. Mitch E saying Reds by six. Tim saying Reds by 25. Carlos saying Reds by 12. So Carlos
1: gets it on the nose. Well, on the done, nose. Mate.
0: I, was, I thought I had this one. After the game, yeah. I was calculating. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm close. And then realized Carlos had it. So well done, Carlos. You've nabbed the chocolates again.
1: What well, well on mate? What well on? Yeah, you're gonna well,
0: we're, gonna gonna have, business, we're gonna have we're gonna have to do like a um next year when we've got a proper competition. We're gonna put in like Super Brew or something like a proper table where we can yeah. actually tally it and see who's got them the most each week.
1: Because I a think, full pick. Um, yeah, that'll be
0: great. I think Carlos is well and truly. If we were doing it this year,
1: he's well and truly won by a long way. Look, I think he would definitely be there. I think that there have been a few games where I've seen to try and use some voodoo stuff to be like, (laughs) if I pick the opposition team, the team I want to win will win. And it's worked like twice. (laughs) So I've kept doing that. Um, But I I agree, we should definitely do a tipping comp next year. Uh, But let's get into the actual game. Um, So look, there's there's a fair bit that we can be taking away from this. Um, My initial thoughts, if I'm just to summarise it all down before I throw it over to you, is that in the first half, apart from the breakaway Pattaya try, um, the Reds looked really uncomfortable and they mm. seemed to lack a bit of confidence or cohesion within the way that they were playing, a lot of the unforced errors. Uh, and the Rebels had a lot more structure and composure in the way that they were playing. But then in the second half, that massively shifted around the red, the um, reds started to have a lot more confidence and adventure within the way that they were playing. And whilst both sides had really key injuries, I think the injuries to hail at Petty and Tamua for the rebels were more significant and mm. took away from their ability to control the game. They were massive. Yeah. Eventually leading to the reds winning. So that's my condensed uh, summary of the game. What were your kind of takeaways just to start with?
0: Yeah. The reds looked nervous when it came out, didn't they? They, um, They didn't start well. They were making uncharacteristic errors and the rebels were firing. I was really impressed by the rebels in this first half. So halftime was 10 all the rebels were close a few times. The the reds actually didn't look like they came too close to scoring points in that first half, except for the Jordan Pettaya intercept try, which I I said to you at the time I texted you I was like, Oh, that's just unfortunate because um, they didn't really, they weren't the dominant team at the time. And the rebels had, just a few minutes earlier, um, they'd sent a kick over for Kellaway to go over in the corner and he landed out just. Um, but they were definitely the dominant team. So I was really impressed with their performance. They were completely 180 from last week. But then, as you said, second half, the Reds just really turned, turned it around and, and, and drove it home. Yeah. Those a are big part of that, of I words. think, was
1: the uh, scrum dominance. So it was really interesting that in the first half, the Rebels were with the advantage in the scrums. And there had been a lot of talk about Tupou's scrummaging style. Supposedly, he's the most penalised player in Super Rugby. Uh, only some of those are actually at penalties, uh, in scrum penalties. But people just seem to not notice that part of the stat. And it was yeah, fascinating to see how Cameron or for the Rebels was actually destabilising Tupo very effectively. He seemed to be maybe withdrawing his body a little bit to overextend Tupou. Um, just kind of there were lots of the time you see Tupo being really really rock steady before he then puts a shove on and drives um in between but or drives in at them but this time Tupo was just struggling to hold his body up because of either a over extension or maybe b he was just having so much pressure coming on he wasn't able to hold it but that seemed to shift in the second half um maybe as or tired and was then substituted later on um I don't know, but I, I don't know enough about scrums to know exactly Yeah, I noticed then, interesting
0: but... things coming from Liam Wright, actually. So yeah. as the number six. And I, I don't know if he was always in the... I noticed it tw- two or three scrums in that first half. And I don't know if this is when he was packing against Tupou because as a six, you do change depending on where the scrum is on either side. But he has this technique, which I haven't noticed him do before, but I probably just wasn't watching as intently throughout the, the season. But when the scrum set, so Crouch and the, the front row goes down. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, a second uh, the, the, um, the loose, the breakaways will be bound and ready at that point to, to hit, but he was back and he was basically on his, he was on his knees and he was, um, sort of leaning back towards the back of the scrum. He wasn't set. And then at the very last call, he kind of got down and then pushed, but it's, it, I haven't seen other number sevens or number sixes do this kind of technique before, because generally when they say crouch, they're down low. And then as soon as it's engaged, they just push forward. Whereas he kind of is going for this sort of number eight kind of sling push. But the first scrum penalty I noticed, I think he stuffed it up. And I think that was the issue with where the penalty came from, because he mistimed it. And he ended up sort of riding straight up the back of Tupo, who then didn't have anyone to push. And he sort of fell to the side. So I was wondering if that was a, a, the issue in that first scrum because the Reds, uh, the Rebels ended up pushing them back and they just kind of went up. But I I didn't, as as things started to go on further in the in the game, I didn't sort of notice it as, as much.
1: Yeah, well, as Cameron Orr got substituted in the 56th minute, he there seemed to be just a big shift in the second half with the scrum dominance. And what that enabled was the Reds, as you would normally expect from scrums to be able to get that quick, clean ball and to just not be conceding those easy, easy changes of possession that are happening when you lose a scrum. So it was just really impressive to see the Reds be able to adapt because my initial thought, well, as I was watching the game, um, my thought was that the Reds were uncharacteristically poor because of a lack of maturity and confidence, largely as a result of the combined low age of the team. Uh, so seeing this turnaround in the second half, was just really pleasing to see them be able to adapt and make changes throughout the game in order to adjust to whatever was happening on the field. That's a mark of a quality team and it's a mark generally of a team with experience and maturity. Um, and so it's good to see the Reds have the ability to change in that way. That being said though, the game was still really, really really tight and it was only the late try by Dunguni that really took it away from the rebels. I mean, the the rebels were still in a hunt in kind of 70, 75 minutes in.
0: Yeah. I I do wonder if it was the, um, the game plan for the Reds to to play this kind of uh, style for this game. They did seem to kick the ball away a lot in that first half and the rebels did have a lot of possession and were running the ball a lot. And what that ended up doing potentially was uh, affecting their confidence because they had so much possession, but they didn't score any points until the very la- or they scored three points, but they didn't score any tries until the very last minute of that half. When Cora Betty makes a break straight through the middle and scores, which is a massive thing to think about when uh, in the uh, Jordan Patea scores, that incept try in the eighth minute. So they're seven points clear for the majority of that half. And if you're holding the ball for the whole half, and getting kicked back to you, and you're just continually trying to to make advantage, but not getting any points. That really starts to sort of put doubt in the back of your mind. Um, but in saying that, the Reds did sort of flick a switch in that second half and change the way they were doing things, and really straightened up that attack. Who were your? I also um, enjoyed the way yeah. you go. You go. I was going to
1: say, who for you really stood out in this game? Um, I saw more of Liam Wright in defensive moles that I've seen in a long time. There were uh, definitely two two occasions, maybe more, where he has been the player. Like, you know how Will Skelton or Rory Arnold used to just, like, push their way through a wall yeah. when they're the defending team? Yeah. Get their hands on the player at the back and just sack it. Um, I saw him do that t- on two occasions, and enough to disrupt the number eight and or the hooker and have the ball um, have to get distributed. And he did, he was pushing hard, like, two other times. And I haven't seen that from him. And normally it requires someone that's just an absolute giant of a human being to be able to do that. And he seemed to have a particular technique or ability or knack to get through. So I was pretty impressed by him. Like I said before, Cameron Orr was pretty good in my mind in the scrums until he went off. And the two players from the Rebels that really impressed me were Hardwick and Wilkin, the the Lucy's. They were just fantastic. I thought, I I think Hardwick is up there and I'm kind of surprised he's not in the squad, in the Wolby squad. Um, He's kind of a person on the edge of that squad for me. And he just plays with this aggression and this, like, he's just always angry. And (laughs) I like seeing his desire to just constantly be a nuisance at the rucks and at the breakdowns. Well, like
0: Um, this game really meant things for him because at the end of the game, he was crying. He was balling on okay. the sideline, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so I was really impressed with the Wilkin or... as well. Yep, yep. What What about it was Yeah, so th-
0: this is another thing I think we're starting to see this year is the emergence of the tall number seven. So in the past, we've always gone with Hooper or Pocock for that kind of combination of a, a smaller on-ball player who's quite speedy around the field and, and nimble. But this year, we're starting to get like Liam Wright, uh, Wilkin. Um, I just had a mind blank. What? Well, the other Fraser McRae. No, the other one you just said for the Rebels. Um, Hardwick. Hardwick. They're all quite tall guys. So, but I was really impressed with the effort that put in this game. There was a number of times where he's made a tackle and he's gotten up, like made it, committed the defender, offloaded the ball, gone to ground, gotten up, and then made the first clean out or be the first defending player there at the breakdown. He's did that two or three times. And I think. It's been really good to see him develop this year because he's been on the cusp of sort of a Super Rugby team for the last five years, but he's just never got those opportunities. This is the first time he's been able to a few games together. Really starting to, I'm really, yeah, I really enjoy watching him play. I mean, he does stand out as well with that red hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, if we if we keep going with the Reds, um, I thought that well, okay, this isn't particularly insightful. Dunguny was just on fire. Um, he and Curabetti had a complete license to roam throughout the entire game. So very rarely were they actually on their wing. Yeah. They were just popping up off the off the shoulder of the 10, not off the shoulder of the 9, doing little picks and pick and drive from, uh, from rucks. And it was just excellent to see these guys going and using their pace and athleticism in ways which are just not the traditional wingers mould. They yeah. can do those core roles like they go, well. They often go looking for the ball. Yeah, they're so dynamic that you want them on the ball and so is picking and uh, dart to get that try in the first half, like right at the end on a 39th or 40th minute, was as a result of him going, looking for the work and being willing to just make that play against a tiring defensive line. Um, And it was because Panga Ramosa had copped a heavy hit and was trying to shrug it off. And the Reds players overfolded, not realising that, Paying it was down, and Corobetti just. So, I mean, I've said a lot about Corobetti when I was praising Don Gooney, but Don Gooney <laughs> was just an absolute gun. His hit on Reese Hodge at the end of yeah. the game, right near the end of the game, was huge, and he seems to be getting away. That um, the care, the recklessness within his game that he was marked with over the last couple of seasons. Well, that was just was it this year that he dumb, copped a red yeah. card
0: in the um. In the trial match, and then missed the first three rounds of Super Rugby.
1: Yeah, I think it was the start of this season, and it happened yeah. again last season as well. Um, where he, I think he took a player out of the air. It was he was playing for a club game yeah. after trying to get back into the squad, and he like took someone's head off. <laughs> um, Literally, yeah, so, yeah, he's done an 0 so, trial. Yeah. exactly. So he's basically just seems to have whether it was a technique thing, a temperament thing, or a whatever, that hasn't been the case. And his extended run in the squad has earned him deservedly the call-up to the Wallabies. Obviously, we'll get to that, but he, he, was, he was fantastic. What about you? Who were some of the takeaways? Yeah, who was, was some of
0: the good I've, I've been impressed with Tupo all year, but he just keeps going and going and going and doesn't stop. The fact he's playing 80 minutes every week is massive for a bloke of his size, but he's winning scrum penalties. And then he's also making the the break or the midfield breakaway that's setting up tries for the winger to secure the game as well. Like in the seventy-fifth minute, like. Well the seventy, yeah, 76 or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Yep, and yep. the pace that he's got, like, this isn't the this isn't just one off. We're talking about this week in, week out now that Tupo makes a break. Last week he did it. The week before he did it, he dropped the ball and Butcher to try but he's just (laughs) such a dynamic player in the middle of the field as well as in the scrums it's so good watching him play I just love it he's just such a
1: character as well it's it's fantastic now the one thing I just want to quickly touch on I don't want to go into this in detail but that pass from Bryce Hegarty inside to Tupou running that line I look at that and I swear to god it's forward it's not like but okay watch it again sorry don't just say it's not Hear me out. Don't be that guy. Um, look, watch it again and look at his body and the lines on the field and how the ball travels to Tupo. I don't want it to be forward. I want it to be a try. It's great play. I like it. Don't get me wrong. But I look at it objectively and I go, I thought that was forward. If I was a Rebels fan, I'd be so angry about that. I don't know. I just found it hard to they see how that's it. backwards out of the hands. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But I I'm actually also thought just like, that Tupou's uh, offload to Dungunu
0: why. was potentially further forward than that offload from um, Hegarty. Now, do okay. you go back and look at that as well? But yeah, it was they were both flat. They were.
1: Yeah. Okay, all right. I'll have another look at it, but I just looked at it at the time and even went back a little bit on KO and just checked it out and thought, ooh, that looks... Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, and there's, there um, are certain
0: things like that, that they do just go over and that, that there are yeah. some questionable decisions where you go... Why are we looking at certain things and not others? It's just, it's another yep. refereeing um, mystery we've had this year.
1: Yep. Um, so really, I think I don't want my analysis of the Rebels to be based upon the awesome of Tamua and Hala Petty, but I just think that they struggled to have.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that, that, that's what I wanted to say, that um, their injuries definitely changed their approach to the game and really did diminish their ability to go forward. So once Tamu came off, and he came off in the 53rd minute, they didn't do anything for the rest of the game. And when they had the ball, they didn't look half as strong. And it goes to show how good a player Tamu is, that he can pull out the best of the players around him. But I think it it also shows that... I don't want to be too harsh here, but it just it doesn't feel like this team is being coached to the full potential of the players that if one player goes
1: off, they just can't produce the same things. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I would also just throw this out there as a thought in that a large part of everything that um, Gainline Analytics looks at is the really the lack of influence that a head coach actually has. Yeah. And I just wonder if the Rebels for so long have had significant chopping and changing of their roster, that mean that they haven't had the opportunity to get those combinations or cohesion up. As Benny Darwin would call it. And I just wonder if maybe next year, if they actually did stick with vessels for one more year and they were able to hold on to some of the key players, um, particularly kind of in the nine, 10, they've already short up their entire front row with the scrum. Yeah. Um, if they were to keep Tamua, if they were to maybe keep Billy Meeks, although I don't really rate him, um, keep get Ryan, Ryan Lawrence back and keep Dane Hallapetty, they'd actually have a pretty solid core that had been at the sc- Team, been, at, been in a team now for two, three years, um, and would have that level of combination developing. So I wonder if next year will be the make and break year for Dave Vessels if he doesn't get the sack like in the next week or two.
0: Yeah, I, I just I don't see him being extended any further past this year. Like I was, I was very impressed with how well they played this this game, the Rebels, considering how they played last week and only we just scraped f- through from the force. But yep. yeah, I just. That I think it goes to show more that Tamua is a class player and, and can produce the best of the players around him more so than they've been well coached by vessels. Yep, okay,
1: cool. Um, I think we've spoken about that um, enough one, over the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. One thing I did that's really I read something earlier this week and it definitely stuck out to me in this game is the Reds' approach to how they play the game, and it's something that I think mm-hmm. Brad Thorne is definitely instilling. But they're using their scrum as a penalty, securing. Uh, weapon as opposed to an attacking dominance, which I think is it's, it's quite frustrating for opposing teams, definitely. But they're using their scrum. And so many times in this game, the ball was at the back of the scrum playable and the ref's not yelling at them to use it. He just lets it sit there and then they drive it till the opposition then collapses or goes backward and then they get a penalty. Now, I think that, that should be uh, that shouldn't be allowed because the point of a scrum is a reset of the game it's a contest for possession. If the ball's at the back of the scrum, get it out. Play it.
1: I wonder if they've made the change because they don't have Sam McCrevy at 12 anymore who's able to be making those midfield plays or that get them the dominant possession over the attacking line. And so they recognise, okay, we don't have that player anymore. We do have strength, and particularly in players like Tubo, who's just killing it this year. Um, that can get us the advantage at scrum time. Let's use it. So I, I hear you, and I wonder if it's a pragmatic choice where they're just oh, it's definitely it something that they're. It's
0: definitely something that they're doing, and it's being allowed by mm-hmm. the referees. In that, if the ball sit, the ball sits at the back of the scrum, under either the number eight's feet or even at the, the number nine's feet, and just it sits there until the opposition has done something to to be penalised for. The referee then allows them to get that penalty. He, they shouldn't be doing that. The referee shouldn't be allowing them to keep the ball in. They should be saying, "Ball's playable. Let's go play on. Get it out. Yep. And let's speed this thing up." Because I, I will also say that their backline is is fire. Like they have the potential there to make holes and breaks, but they're being allowed by the refereeing team to to get these penalties.
1: Well, I agree. I hear what you're saying. And there's a part of me that wants to move on to the Wallabies, but is there anything else you want to quickly say about this game?
0: Um, I don't think so. I was, I was impressed with both teams. I thought the Rebels did very well to hang in there until halftime. I was... I think that injuries was what ultimately cost them that second half that they kind of just lost their way and drifted from side to side a little bit too much. The reds did really well to be able to hang in there and then, and fix the issues that they were having in that first half to come out dominant in the second. Um, And the two tries they scored in the back end of that second half really did show that they're a, a team of contention. And yeah, I would say that they are the form team of the year so far.
1: Awesome, mate. Well, uh, I think we should move on now. I'm keen. Let's go.
0: Now we get to the most exciting part of the pod. Well, definitely for us anyway. Uh, The announcement of the (laughs) Wallabies team that came out this afternoon. Now, I do want to say one quick thing. We did say in our podcast last week that we'd be talking about the All Black squad that was announced last weekend. We weren't aware that the Wallabies squad was being announced today. So... Being an Aussie rugby podcast, we thought we will dive into the, the Wallabies now and we may get to the All Blacks next week. I'm not too sure. Hopefully, we'll get to it It's a bit a... old news
1: now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit old news. So, I reckon we'll see. We'll see if there's anything interesting we just want to briefly mention. We might do it. But really, yeah, let's get into the Wallabies. I'm excited.
0: All right. So, how do you want to do this, Ando? Do we go through the whole list of players? So, for those who don't know, first of all, we will just quickly say... This is an expanded list, so there are forty-four yep. players that are named. Normally, there's thirty-two. Um, there's also two spots that are open. Now, we didn't cover this in the news earlier this in the podcast, but they have they haven't relaxed the laws, particularly of the, the ghetto rule, but they've made an amendment. So, what they have announced is if you're not aware what the ghetto law is it means that if you're a player who's played for australian rugby for over seven years or you have accrued more than 60 test caps you can go overseas and play somewhere else and still be called back to play for the wallabies if you haven't got either of those two criteria you don't make it you go overseas you can't play for the wallabies now they've announced this year due to the covid conditions and just what's happening the fact that we're playing uh, a rugby championship in australia and blah, blah 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 they've Announced that two spots will be made available to players from international teams that don't meet the criteria of the ghetto law.
1: Good overview, mate. Well, basically, um, what I think would be interesting to do is really just talk about winners and losers of this squad. Um, I think let's start with the losers because it's the more contentious topic, and then we'll jump into some of the winners. How does that sound?
0: Well, let's just, I guess we should just say how many players from each team made it. So we've got a general
1: overview. Okay, so we'll have a quick look at the teams and how many players they have in each. So the Rebels have nine players. The Brumbies, 13. Waratahs, 11. Reds, 11. Force, 0. Now, I was having a really interesting back and forth with a couple of Force fans on Twitter who were decrying the fact that they didn't have anybody from their squad in the Wolby squad. And I challenged them nicely. I'm a nice Twitter (laughs) person, don't worry. Um, I challenged them to go, okay, cool. I understand that you would want someone in your team. So tell me who would you have in the squad and who are you get replacing? Rid of. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you get rid of? And that's, um, it's called the Cocker's law. Tim Cocker from the egg chasers rugby pod kind of brought that in. Okay. If you're going to say someone should be in a team, you've got to say who they replace. Yep, fair um, enough. That's good. And so it was interesting. And that person, the people who replied came back to me, Said, oh look, I'm not sure if there's anyone in particular, but if they just want fair representation or a force to feel like they're a part. Oh, like, calm come
0: off it, no man. Calm no, off man. it. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, they're in the calm. Be- We've brought them back. Be happy with
1: that. Yeah, and even I mean, they deserve to be back. But the yeah. reality is, I'm not sure if there's any player at the force who deserves right now to be ahead of any of the other players which have been named. The uh. only potential might be someone like, uh, I don't even know.
0: Look, I would say out of the players that have been announced today, there's probably two forced players that I would have thought could have been been included, and that's Stander and um,
1: Rolston. Yeah, okay. Who would Rolston be replacing? Um, Len Iketel. But Rolston's a back three player, isn't he? He's a winger. I'm pretty sure Rolston's a winger. Yeah, yes. yeah, and he is. is 13. Yeah, is a, 13. he is a centre, but
0: I mean, we will talk about this as we get into the team more. But I just don't, I don't think Len's going to get any game time. I think he's been put in the squad as a development player.
1: Yeah, sure, okay, um, and yeah, who would you be replacing? Who would you be taking out for standard to be in there?
0: Who would I take out? Look, you've just thrown this at me, so I need to um, need to see.
1: <laughs> let's okay. Let's so the get two number eights in the squad right now are Pete Samu and Harry Wilson, and the. Uh, blind sides so are swinton, valentinian yeah. right. Any open sides so are who possibly and right. Swinton. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I'll hear that. I'll take that one. Um, yeah, cool. So basically the 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 there are a few interesting points within this squad is that there are some really there are a couple of surprising names that have been included. And the biggest surprise, I think, that you pointed out, which really we can touch on and just speak around right now yep. without bothering about the winners or the losers, yep. is um, Len Ikatau, 13, from the Brumbies, who has come off the bench five times this season, is in the Wallaby squad ahead of Tavita Kurundrani. He's also um, got, like, that is, a total playtime of, like, 40 minutes or something. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so I cannot um, imagine what Kurundrani is feeling right now. I mean, he did not have a good game last week and he's been on the bench or he's been out of this team yeah, for the last two Yeah, he's been
0: off the pace.
1: Yeah, but I mean, he's our most, one of our most experienced backline players and you would have thought that he would at least be in the squad for the experience that he brings. Um, but no, no. Dave Rennie spoke to it specifically within his press, uh, press conference, press conference. meeting, where he said, um, so... Players like Tavita Coandrani had been given very specific yep. work-ons and had been uh, there. There had been particular things they needed to demonstrate. And he spoke earlier in that um, conference about how players. One of the main things they were looking for was work ethic yep. with the squad. And so it may well be that Tavita, in areas of um, the stats or the analysis that we don't see, is not comparing to the likes of other players like Hunter Paisami. Yeah, and, definitely.
0: Uh, there's a few names in this squad and we did allude to it before of winners and losers. Um, there are a, big, a few big names. So Izzy Nisirani is one of them that didn't get picked. Um, mm-hmm. Players like Swinton got included. Um, James Ram got included. Hamish Stewart didn't get included. Um, Chris Fairway Sortia as well as another player that missed out. Now, this is... Um, when, when we look at why these players haven't been picked by Dave Rennie, I would imagine, or from what the the little bits and pieces that we've been given from the media is that they haven't, they're not providing the picture that he wants. Now, I would imagine players like Izzy Nisarani and Tavita Kuandrani specifically, he would have had contact with them earlier in the year and said, I want you to focus on this. I want you to improve this area of your game. I want you to get off the ground faster. I want you to get to the breakdown. We want you to be that first man at the breakdown. And possibly they're just not doing that yet. And that's the reason why they're not getting picked.
1: It's fascinating. I'd love to just hear more about the reason that Naisirani hasn't been picked. So you have Samu and Wilson who are justified inclusions in the squad at number eight. They both make a lot of sense, but neither of them are big, heavy ball carriers that are going to be bending the line. Wilson runs fabulous lines and often makes a lot of his meters in that area. But have you noticed that Wilson has not been as effective in the last two or three weeks? Yep. And... I believe that's because teams are learning more about him, have done yeah, an well, analysis the, of his, of this his week, lines. This week, the Rebels and, were yeah. very
0: effective at nullifying his, his
1: impact. And who did they put opposite him? Nicerani, like every time. Um, So I'm not saying Wilson has been playing poorly. He still has a huge work ethic and is playing well. Simply put, I just don't think he has the bulk and the size on him yet because he's still so young to be able to have that drive that we would expect generally from a number eight, which leads me to think of, okay, yeah, cool. What you said earlier about him having work on that he hasn't met uh, is Seeming to be the right thing, the the correct reason. Yep. But also, the Wallabies may well have a game plan that isn't necessitating a line bending number eight. It may well be they're looking for more mobility. It may well yep. be looking for they have an idea of who, what their back line, their back row composition will be, and they don't need a big body like Nasirani to be in that place.
0: Yeah. Well, when Dave Rennie coached at the Chiefs earlier, earlier in his career, he had. He had he wanted a very mobile forward pack, and he had his mm. back three running lines very wide in wide channels and being very mobile. And I'm I'm from the team that he's picked. I'm getting the impression that he wants to be running the ball wide and and with that impact. So a lot of the players that he's picked definitely have that ability, like Hooper, Salakai. Um, um, yeah, sorry, Lute, Lute, Salai Loto, lit- as well, all those yep. guys. So definitely the other thing that is interesting about this squad is we touched on it before about being um, the Wallabies, but then also Australia a, so I think that yeah. it's a, it's an expanded squad. There's 44 players there. And I think there's going to be some players who just didn't make the cut because they didn't fit in either of those two teams. There's definitely players that have made the cut in this 44 squad that are, are there because they're going to get experience playing in that Australia a side. I don't particularly think we're going to see players like Angus Bell or Tom Horton starting for the Wallabies, even coming off the bench in the rugby champs. They're just there to get experience in the national setup because maybe in a year or two, they'll be ready. They'll learn so much. They might get the opportunity to play against Argentina in that warm-up game. But yeah, I just don't see them being contributors to the starting side. You've got other players like Noel Alessio or Will Harrison who definitely have the potential to be pushing to be included in the match day. But when you look at players like Izzy Nyserani or Tavita Kuandrani, who have experience, a lot. Izzy Nyserani is probably not as on in his career as Tavita Kuandrani is. But if he's not making the Wallabies team, he's probably not going to be put in to play against in the Australia A either. It's going to be more beneficial to bring in a player like Len Ikatau to give him the experience of being around and playing in those things, they just yeah, there's just no reason for them to be included in this squad, which I think is why they're not there.
1: I well, everything you said just makes a lot of sense, and it that development angle even comes into when you're looking at players who may well actually be taking the field. Um, you look at our centre combinations. Well, Matty Tamua has pulled up with a groin or hip injury after the game on it Saturday looked, night.
0: From what he said in the um, interview after the game, it was just a bit of a um, strain. And
1: yeah, so, so we'll see how cautious. it comes up. Yeah. Yep. Um, but if we, let, let's just spitball and say that he's unavailable through injury. That's um, massive. But, That's massive. Yeah. So the, the question is, who do you put at 12? And you look at our centres, so I've got the centres listed here in front of me. So it's yep. Ere Simone, Len Ikatao, Hunter Paisami, and Jordan Pattaya. Now, Pattaya has gone between 13 and 14 so far this season. He's sometimes played on a wing, sometimes... 13. Paisani is almost exclusively a 13. Yep. Ikitao in the short time he's had is a 13. And Ire Simoni is a 12, but I'm not sure if he's an international level 12 yet. Yeah, I, um, yeah exactly. he's, he, he's good, but I don't see him starting against the All Blacks in Eden Park.
0: I don't even see him um, coming
1: off the bench. No, I don't either. And so it just shows you that we actually still, even with a squad this big, yep. have certain positions that are Up in the air and just filled with inexperience. Yeah. Um. So the big the big question I want to throw out to you, Brees Hodge can play in the centres too. Yeah. Yeah. he can. He can. Um. I actually have him listed at fullback because I think that's his best position. Yes. But obviously we know he's a utility player, so he can play across the back on. Um. So the question I have for you is with the changes to the um, Ghetto War and having two overseas-based players come back in, you, Mitchell, are the one who makes the phone calls, who cool. are the two players that you're bringing back? Say it. I've actually, I've got three players. No, no. not allowed. got to be two. No. It's got to be two. <laughs> it's got to be two.
0: That's the rule. There's only two players. Yeah, I know. I know. I just, but okay. If we, I've got three players and I just want to chat through. Um, oh, right, Okay. The back row. Oh, right. Okay. So the back row. Say okay. them and then we'll do it. Yep. Okay. So the three players that I've written down here, Skelton, mm-hmm. Latu and McMahon.
1: So, no lock. I guess skeleton is a lock. Skelton's a lock. Um, okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Now, as, I, talking, as, talking we, as we alluded to before, I think Dave Rennie is going for a mobile forward pack. Now, he doesn't want big, heavy ball jumpers. He wants players that are going to be able to get around the field and have impact and run the ball. Um, skeleton is definitely that. He is also a big, um, big jumper. I could see Rob Simmons is definitely selected, and I think that's probably because of his line-out ability. But outside of that, he doesn't really have that much impact around the field. He's okay in tackle. He doesn't do much. He's with good the at rug clearing. Yeah, he's I mean, he's good at... at but he's, he's not fast enough to get there quickly. He just has to basically be there. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could def- I would like to see Skelton be in that that second row pack. pack. Um, I'm a little concerned around the hookers that we've got just because they're not great throwers and they're also not that mobile around the field. Now, Tolu Latu is a very mobile player. That was probably one of his best attributes for the Waratahs and the Wallabies at the World Cup last year was that he was very good with the ball outside of the set piece. Now, he's an okay scrammer. He throws the ball decently, but he brings a lot in his on the ball. He's like attack on the ball. He was very um, potent at being able to get that turnover. So I can definitely see him having an impact. I'm a little, con- I'm not concerned, but a bit confused as to what the best back row combination is. So if you have Michael Hooper at seven, do you play Pete Samu at eight or six? And then do you play yeah, Rob Valentini yeah. at eight or six? So the or question- Harry
1: Wilson at eight with Samu at six.
0: Well, I would say Harry Wilson would come off the bench. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be starting him, particularly for going across to play the All Blacks. Um, yep. I, I, Me personally, I think Pete Samu would be, I would be starting Samuel at eight, Hooper at seven, Valentini possibly at six. But that's where I bring in someone like McMahon, who's probably a little bit yeah, more McMahon is around the field than Valentini, and would bring. He's just not as tall, so I I think he would bring more, and he'd be on that on the ball presence that Valentini doesn't quite have. Um, which yeah. is why I'm bringing him in as a potential international.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. And that all makes, that, that makes a lot of sense. I've always been a huge fan of Sean McMahon and I think his move over to, um, I think it was Japan first or was it France first and then Japan um, front, either way, he's injured. Yeah. Um, basically, his his loss was one of the kind of sadder moments recent Aussie rugby history because he was just such a talent, and it was only because he had both Hooper and Pocock ahead of him. Yeah. Um, that he There's was. There's also really a little gonna, bit gonna of political stuff
0: him. that went on there as well. You reckon? No, you weren't aware of that. No. What was it? Yeah. No, on? there was some there were some issues with um, contracts and and negotiations and
1: things. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Now, when I was thinking about this, I've just gone for the two players that I'd be bringing back. And mine is Rory Arnold and Tolu Latu. Um, Now, Tolu Latu, for the same reasons that you were saying before, but Jordan Ulesi actually injured his AC joint in his Mm. shoulder um, in the game on a weekend. So we haven't heard yet, as of Sunday night, how bad that injury is and whether that takes him out of contention. But he is a player that's had significant injury concerns over his short career. Um, so I would, I'm, I'm making the assumption that he's injured and I'd be looking to bring in Togluwatu as a replacement for him. Yep. Uh, and he'd probably be starting in my mind. He'd be starting. Um, and unless I you go, would,
0: up, unless you go for the full Brumbies Ford pack, uh, front row. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. Yep. Yes. Yep. Anyway, um, go on.
1: Yep. I agree. But even beyond that, if we have one of the remaining three or we, we bring in somebody else, um, maybe in Murphy, um, one of the remaining four p- players, uh, yeah, sorry. With the hookers, like, if we get an injury in any of those amongst the entire rugby champ, then we're down to only three. And you just want to be making sure you have that squad depth to cover for potential injuries. Well, we can't bring now, it away. I know, but that, yeah. well, we can yeah. right now. We can I'm now. saying now. Yeah. Too. yeah. Um, and then with Locke, um, we were pretty weak there. So... Trevor Hosea has been playing well, but he's young and this yep. is his first real breakout season. Yeah, so It is. He was, playing in the, saying, he was playing in the 20s last year with yep. Will Harrison. Yep. So to say Will that Harrison. he is somebody that should be like starting Wallabies, no. no, no, he's not. So give see. him time in a squad. Let He'll him be, be in that Australian A side. He's one of those players. Yep. Um, Matt Phillip is, has been playing really, really well, but he's going overseas at the end of the season. That, yep. that doesn't mean he shouldn't play. But it is just something to be aware of. Woto has been playing pretty well, and everybody who says that Rob Simmons sucks needs to shut up because <laughs> they are they are just fundamentally wrong. He does core roles very very well. But it's the same as Ned Hannigan. The, oh,
0: There's and been yeah, a lot of talk oh gosh, around the like why is Ned Hannigan there? Oh, they've I, I saw a few comments say like they've spelt Izzy Nyserani wrong. They've spelt it H A N
1: It's like come so on. so funny. That's hilarious. Um and the thing is, people are just pooping all over Hannigan's inclusion and going, he was the worst under checker. He should never he's he's not playing at blindside. side. He's he's not playing number. He's in that squad as a lock, mark my words. Um and so he's also gonna be in that squad. My rec my bet is Hannigan will be on the bench for the first game yep. because he's cover for both six and lock yeah, and definitely. you need a player like him in the squad. And the only other person that can do that specific role is Salakai Loto. And my guess is that if they don't bring in someone from overseas, you're probably going to be having Salakai Loto and Simmons or Salakai Loto and Philip as the two starting locks. You'd have to start um, Simmons, I'd imagine. You don't have to. Philip is a caller for the Rebels. Um, had, so yeah, if you're had looking had for line tests out, oh, oh don't get me wrong i i agree that on the experience level simmons would bring a lot but if you if we're saying that simmons is in there for his line out ability um yep. you wouldn't be losing a huge amount by having someone like matt phillip yep. doing that role because he, he does it at a super level pretty well
0: so can you talk through your inclusion of um rory arnold i have seen this around a lot online and a lot of people are saying that this uh, relaxation of the ghetto law it should be called the Arnold's Amendment because he's just going to walk into it. But I don't. I'm not. Not that I don't rate him, but I just don't think we. He brings that much that we don't already sure. have.
1: I. I think he brings a physicality and a presence to our tight five that we do not have without him. No other player in the current squad is as physically dominant as him or at least in a current type five Salcar as Lotto. him in areas. No, no. Okay. Like not in like psycho is good, but he's a bit more of a wider playing yeah. block. Um he's a bit more of a linking forward. And probably because of his experience playing blind side for the last while. Um, but Arnold is that player who's going to be putting in the heavy hits up front. He's the one that can be doing a lot of disruption at line out time like Simmons and Hannigan. Would be capable of doing too, and Philip as well too. Um, But the big thing I see for him is defensive mall breakdown. Mm -hmm. So he's just that huge physical presence that, like Skeleton, has demonstrated before, can just power through a mall and um, get to the ball. And I, if you had the option of
0: Skeleton or um, Arnold. Who are you picking? I would be going Arnold because really? he
1: has a more recent Australian resume okay. of a high caliber. Um, Skelton was, I won't say poor, but he wasn't at the level that people always hoped he could be before he went overseas. No. And it seems that his time at Saracens has helped him to get his body to the level of kind of peak performance it needs to be. Um, but also, I don't watch every Saracens match. And he's not even playing for Saracens anymore. He got cut with the yeah. um, He's over in France. He's over in France. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, I, I just haven't watched enough of him. Whereas for Arnold, I've seen enough of him last year to be able to know that yes, he should actually do that. Fair enough. So that that's my reasoning for it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah. Okay. So those are kind of some of my initial thoughts. Yeah. Nice. Is there anything you want to deep dive into a bit more of?
0: Yeah, so I wanted to quickly just shout out um, to one of, the, one of our followers online. Mitch um, has put together a really extensive list of players, and I've just lost it. I had it before. I'll get it so, up. I'll get it up. Yeah. yeah. So, what he did is he went through and he's basically selected a starting side of this 44, um, a reserves uh, 23, and then players outside of that again. So, players that didn't get called um, into the to comp as a third um, team. It, it's really good to... Um, i just got to try and bring it up. In it's all right. Screen. I've got it in front of me.
1: So. But I need um, it on my screen to see as well. Look, well, The most important part here is that I'm really happy that Mitch is recognising the absolute travesty that is the fact that Ryan Wanagan hasn't been caught up into the squad. And that when you're taking the four best scrum halves of Super Rugby, you somehow you're missing Ryan Wanagan This is an absolute travesty. And I'm going to write a firmly worded letter to Dave Rennie and I'm sure he'll pay attention to me.
0: Get off your horse! Get <laughs> off your horse! Nah, Here mate, I'm off. on it. I'm on it. I'm never leaving. <laughs> now, what what it what is interesting is as well as we've already kind of touched on it, but it does, this list definitely shows the lack of um, lock depth that we have. If, even in the second 15, we don't even have enough for a starting second lock, which is just crazy to think. Of. We've got Philip and then no one. Um, he's going which with is- Simmons and Salakai Loto to start with, which isn't a bad combination.
1: The, the, it leads to an interesting point, though. How isn't Kaden Neville in the squad? Um, so Brumbies lock, yep. or maybe even Nick Frost. I mean, like they're both good players, and Brumby's the Brumbies are top of the table and in the final for a reason. And they've been able to cover relatively well. I mean, the Brumbies scrum has not been as dominant as it was earlier in the year and last year, and a part of that is because of the loss of some of their locks. But I didn't think they'd been particularly bad and yet we're still scraping the barrel to find locks and people just seem to be forgetting that the Brumbies have a second row and maybe the Brumbies players should always be considered.
0: I guess it goes back to the that Dave Rennie has an idea of how he wants to play and I guess these players don't fit into that game plan.
1: Yeah. It I might make sense when we come.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we, we will get to see that in a few weeks, but at the moment we're all just sort of scratching our head. But yeah. He's confident that this team that he's named is capable of going over there and beating New Zealand. So, you've got to admire him for that. <laughs> that's just that's crazy. That
1: was an that was an interesting part of the interview. So the actual question was, um, is this a team that you think can beat the uh, New the All Blacks in Your New Blacks. Zealand? It was it was Chrissy Chrissy Doran, Chris Doran. That asked it, and uh, Rennie's response was, "Yep." And Doran followed up with, "Well, I don't if if uh, my memory." serves me correctly it was 2001 was the last time that we won a game and Renny's response was something to the effect of you asked me if I think that they can beat it and my answer is yes I think they can <laughs> and that doesn't say... statistics at me. <laughs> yeah. and his, I think the subtext to that was also something to the effect of I'm not saying they will but I know that there's a possibility <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh, it was just interesting yeah, So nice. he's, he's got confidence, he knows how he's going to be playing and us mere mortals looking upon the heights of Mount Olympus from below will find out what his plans for humanity yeah, are pretty soon, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely do re- I do think that the this squad is lacking depth in the locks and that does open that question of who we bring back in that, those two spots, whether it is Skelton or, or Arnold, or even if we bring back both of them and just don't worry about anyone else, um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Did you want to um run through our our luckies and luckies to be included in our um I, we've kind of mentioned who we think is unlucky to miss out.
1: A couple more that are unlucky to miss out. I'll just quickly say it. I don't yep. I think we should probably just keep on rolling because we want to talk about the final that's coming up as well. Yeah, yeah. Um so I think Jack Dempsey is another big name exclusion, but if we're considering overall season yep. um what's the right word performance or yeah, his, his performance over a long time, which is the whole season. He's been pretty poor except for the last three or four games. Yeah. Um, I personally think Hamish Stewart is very unlucky to miss out. Yeah. And definitely. if Tamu was to be withdrawn from injury, I think Hamish Stewart would deserve a call up as a 12. Um, so he's been, he's been great for the Reds and it would be a welcome, welcome. Uh, congratulations for his excellent efforts this year. Uh, apart from that my other comments was one of the walking pair probably Caden Neville um, may well be someone also we're not seeing Lockie McCaffrey so if, yeah, we want again. Six-eight if you want a 6-8 combination if you want a 6-8 combination then Lockie McCaffrey mate he lives on the, the Brumbies farm so it's his property that he Alator and White all live yeah. on together that must have been awkward after the announcement when yeah, he's just both like, White and Alatoa like,
0: in all the, all the phones ringing and he's just sitting there going yep yeah, don't worry mine will ring in a minute Oh, oh man, I must, have, must have got
1: my number wrong <laughs> That'd be rough that I saw on really his Instagram, rough. he went for a nice walk out To one of the one of the dams this morning So maybe that's why, just to query his head. Yeah, just um, to, um, be, he
0: was out of coverage so they just yeah. gotten, An interesting
1: one um, Some people have been talking I see that in Mitch, the other Mitch's um, Best of the rest He's got Nwanganitawase as one of the yeah. um, One of the wingers I'm actually so okay that he's not in the squad
0: Yeah, no, definitely um,
1: he, he started well in the first few games of the season. I mean, he Honestly, wasn't even probably. cracking the, the Waratahs
0: 23. So no, the not, no. I'm not too surprised about. I um, I think Hamish Stewart definitely has been hard done by not to be included. I think James Ram is very lucky to be included yeah. into the thing. Um, he's, he's played well, but I don't think he's had moments of brilliance against the Reds and the Rebels a little bit here and there, but he's a he's an out-and-out winger. He hasn't played anywhere else we've got pretty good depth in that position. So I, I find it a little confusing that Stewart hasn't been, um, Stewart or even Jock, someone like Jock Campbell hasn't been included in the squad in that position because they have that ability to play multiple positions in that back line.
1: I don't see. Think... That's interesting. Yeah, I would actually like lovingly challenge you and say that I don't think Jock Campbell can play multiple positions in the back line. Like I've said before, I think he's a 15 out yes. and out. Um, And so he, if you think about it, who's ahead of him? You've got Tom Banks, that's definitely ahead of him. Dane Hale at Petty, that's definitely ahead of him. If we go on experience and form over the long-term, I know that Tom Banks hasn't been playing well the last few weeks, but just general experience, you've got those two ahead of him. Um, And then you've got already Dungunu, Kurabedi, Ram and Wright, who are out and out wingers and they're not like a 14-15 hybrid. So if you've got four of your wingers are just out-and-out out wingers, then you need to have people like Hodge and Maddox who are definitively utility back three players. Yeah, definitely. That could be playing that. So I think my guess is that's why Campbell's not in the squad is because he is an out-and-out out 15, but the um, selectors have obviously considered Banks and Hale at Petty to be ahead of him. Yeah. And so he doesn't get it because he does not play another backline position well enough to be um, considered a utility or hybrid.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Okay, that's fair. But then Ram is the same thing. Ram is yeah. an out-and-out winger. He doesn't bring yeah. anything else. And I don't think he's of a quality winger to be making the, the Wallabies 23. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that he's there over someone like Jock Campbell or Hamish Stewart or even Chris Failway to to Tia is a little bit confusing to me. That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. Um, cool. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else I want to throw in here. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that shot in this one. Oh, um, Jermaine Ainsley. So, Mitch, again, I'm just going to... He's going to love how much we're calling him out this this (laughs) squad. Um, He was saying that his thought is that Ainsley is basically one of the luckiest boys to be in his squad. Ahead of Tom Robertson, who's been playing very well recently. um, And the fact that Ainsley is off overseas at the end of the season, he's going to the Highlanders, um, is, yeah, really surprising that he is actually in the squad. So, yeah, I think overall... The big, biggest surprise in my mind is No. Izzy Nasirani. Um Following that, Tavita Kurandrani, and uh, following that, the inclusion of Len Ikatao. Those are yeah, the three big talking points in my definitely. mind. Definitely,
0: I mean, when we when we look at um, when we look at that that Ainsley has been included in this squad or that Philip as well. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that Philip doesn't deserve to be there, but the fact is that he's not sticking around Australian rugby after this. I know that we are lacking depth in that position, which is why he's there. But if we take away a, someone like Ainsley, who's off to New Zealand next year, doesn't have the option of playing for the Wallabies again and bring in someone like Izzy Nisarani to just fill in that spot. It just doesn't, it's, it's really weird that they, that he's been completely uh, unincluded.
1: Mm. and maybe there's a lot more behind the scenes conversations mm. and information that's there that we just don't have access. Or the Definitely. Definitely a lot more behind the scenes. Um, okay, cool, mate. I think we can move on. We've spoken enough about all this and we also need to preview the final next week. All right. So we just move into the final now then. Yeah, let's go straight in, buddy. Let's go. Um, So very obviously, we understand that we have the final coming up on Saturday night where the Reds are going to be travelling down to the Brumbies. They're doing a fly in, fly out thing again. And it is the, yeah, I think it's the first time since their last finals win that the Reds have been to a grand final. Um, some people were pooping over the stat that this isn't actually a proper super rugby final in that it doesn't have the full competition. But in my mind, like I agree with that. Yes, okay. But it also doesn't take away from the significance of this and both teams are going to be up for it. How do you think the game is going to be paying out?
0: Just on that point, before we dive directly into the game, um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think I've seen a lot of people saying they're bringing up statistics and things saying, you know, the Reds haven't made a final since their last appearance in 2011, all this kind of stuff. And I, I agree with what you're saying is, yes, it's it's a good achievement that they've done, that they've got it here, but let's not compare them because it's not apples with apples. It's It isn't. The fact is that they're playing against Australian competition. I saw something on Twitter today that said the last time the, um, the Reds made a final, the 13 of the, the, the teams that were in that competition aren't playing in this current one. So how can you compare it? And yeah, that's a fair call. So I do think we just need to, yes, it's great that they've made the Super Rugby AU. Let's not compare it to their performances in the past because it's something completely different. Don't take away from the fact that they've made it here. They've done really well, but let's not just compare it as well. Yep. It's the same with Brumbies. the Brumbies. The Brumbies haven't a played a the Brumbies haven't yep. played a, a a Super Rugby final at home in the last fifteen years. So, yep,
1: yep. So, how, we, how do you see the game's going to be playing out? It's going to be another
0: tight match. It's going to be a battle of the Fords. Um, I th- I personally think that the Reds are going to have the um, the desire to win this one. I think they're going to out enthuse the Brumbies, and I think they're going to. It's going to be tight. The last two times they've played, the last three times they've played this year, it's all it's come down. Oh, actually, if we take away the last um, last weekend's game in in Brisbane, but the last two games that we were played in Canberra um, earlier this year, and then in the first round, it came down to two or three points. So it's always been tight. This Reds team is up for it, and I think they showed that this weekend when they made that dramatic turnaround and um, and yeah, and made the final. You could tell when when they made when it was final whistle and the, the the kick went out, they all just erupted like they just won the final. Like it really meant something to them that they've made the grand final.
1: And I think they also didn't play well enough that they're going to be complacent either. Um, there were definitely areas of the game that needed to be improved, and yeah. so I think we're Take going to see that first half performance. Yeah, yeah, big time. And so I think what we're going to be seeing is just this real continuation of the form that they've shown. So the Reds have. Won their last four games in a row, and have been playing with a lot of. And who beat players, them before that? They, uh, the, the Waratahs, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Wow. Smashed oh, them. Okay. Really. Waratahs should be in the final. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> um, but basically, the Reds are undoubtedly the form team of the competition. Yeah. And uh, the the Brumbies, whilst being really consistent at the start. They're currently sitting on loss, win, win, loss, win. So in the last five games, they've lost two, and in the last five games, the Reds have lost one. And even then, that Waratahs game, the more and more you look at it, you see it as an aberration from Definitely. the death of Patara's yeah. father. Yeah, um, like that was that tragic incident seems to have had, and maybe it was also a galvanizing effect on the team as well. Um, which has enabled them to have such a stark turnaround. But they've just been playing out of their skins in various ways, so to some lesser or greater extent. But the Brumbies have almost like stuttered along. They've had the class and the quality to edge a few tight games, but also haven't always shown the complete dominance that you would have expected from a team with the pedigree and the quality. So I, think I think the fact
0: the fact they lost Noel D'Alessio earlier in the year is really yeah. starting to show now. And that's really what's
1: hurting them a lot. So if Alessio is available this week, which he's meant to be, do you start Alessio or do you go with Kunzul? You I would be starting Kunzul and then
0: seeing how he goes and then put Alessio on earlier.
1: You reckon? Okay, interesting. Um, having a dedicated 10 on your bench is potentially risky. I'm not sure if he oh, plays any other backline back um, positions. But yeah, I just think that the Brumbies are still going to be the favorites, particularly because it's going to be played at home. I am guessing they're going to want the coldest weather possible <laughs> to be in Canberra, but I'm going to quickly look up the Canberra. They're going Park to bring out here. the
0: fans, like the, the actual fans. The of physical the, fans? or Yeah, the, yeah, the physical fans. fans.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be raining. It's legitimately oh, going to be raining. Yeah. Um, but it's, the low is only 11, so it shouldn't be as freezing as um, it can potentially get in Canberra. Yeah, definitely. So I, I just think that Canberra are going into, the, or the Brumbies are going into this game as the um, favourites, but only because of the home ground advantage. I think if this was at a neutral venue or if the Brumbies had to travel up, then the Reds would would be the favourites for yeah. this game. In my
0: mind yeah I, I think the red back the red's back line has the spark and the ability to create things which is going to be the difference in this game i think their front row and their forward pack has enough to match the brumbies um they need to work on their mauling this week because that's where the brumbies are going to try and score a lot of their points but uh, in saying that the brumbies have shown they've got the ab- ability to score points through their back line as well um yep. I, I think this is going to be a fairly forward-dominated game. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to, the, the Reds will be taking scrums in the, op, in the opposition to try and kick penalties. I don't imagine this yeah, being a that. too high-scoring game because both teams are going to be quite defensive, um, potentially a fair bit of kicking. But if it's going to be wet, maybe not, maybe not so much. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Hmm, I, it's fascinating to look back at these teams and think of where the seasons have changed. So the season for the Brumbies changed when Alessio got injured and Kunzel had to step in. And Kunzel has warmed up and is actually playing relatively well, relatively, but Alessio, without a doubt, um, was kind of the form 10, really, the entire competition before his injury. And you look at the Queensland Reds, as soon as they put McWright into seven, Wilson at eight, uh, Wright at six, and then McDermott at nine, their entire... And, and actually kept Campbell at 10 and stopped moving him uh, at 15 and stopped moving him to 11 or 14. As soon as they sorted out those positions and they've had that consistency, their team has looked dangerous and composed yeah. mostly um, since then. And that was about, that was after the Waratahs game that they yep. made that change. Yeah. Um, so once they got the back row sorted and, actually kept McDermott on, which everybody was saying, <laughs> yeah. "Do why isn't McDermott starting? Um, they have sorted that out and just been really, really dominant and confident. And I, what, one interesting point though, is with Chris Feo I saw Tia looking pretty injured and looking yeah. like he won't be available in one week's time. Um, who, who do they put at wing? Sarovi? Hegarty? Well, that's Who's yeah. It? Yeah. They don't have a backup winger. They've literally been putting Serovi out on a the wing. They'll bring Actually, they've been putting McDermott out on a wing and Serovi in at nine. Um, or they can put... Higeti comes on to replace like a 12 or 15.
0: Yeah. They might put Hegarty on there to start with maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You see my point though? Like yeah. The, that could be an area of weakness that the Brumbies will try and exploit. Um, the lack of experience within the wing, at least that one wing. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's going to be a good game. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've, I've been doing a, well, I mean, you and I together, uh, we've been in a 24 hour ping pong event. We will just before that. So yeah. for anyone, actually, you know what? I'm totally going to plug this. This is our podcast. I'm going to do it. Um, Mitch and I are participating, I'm running the event, but Mitch and I are participating in a 24 hour ping pong-a-thon event. So basically it's a, ping pong-a-thon is a charity that's been happening every year for the last kind of, since 2011 actually, which raises money to bring freedom and hope to those who are experiencing human trafficking and child sex slavery in Southeast Asia. So basically we get together, we play ping pong, for a full 24 hour period. You, you do it in three hour chunks, but the event goes for 24 hours and you get people to sponsor you and the money goes to organizations on the ground in Southeast Asia that work to prevent these things in the communities that they're a part of. Um, so if you're keen, um, can you consider donating at pingpongathon.com slash Ando? Or do you know what your URL is off the top of your head, Mitch? Uh, I think it's just Mitch Foster. Awesome, pingpongathon.com slash Mitch Foster. Um, We would really, really appreciate it if you did want to send any dollars through that way. Um, We've raised over $10,000 the last couple of years and we'll see how we go over the next little while, but we're kind of past 3,000, which is great. And we'll be finishing that at 6 p.m. on a Saturday. So I'll be hitting the pub straight after to make sure we get to the game. I'm going to have to book a table. Um, But yeah, we'll be coming fresh off the back of a pretty hectic Physical event, the ping pongathon. So I'm really oh, excited yeah. next weekend. It's going to be awesome. That's going
0: to be good. It's going to be good. Yep. Cool. All right. So let's do our predictions then. We need a score line. Ando, oh, what on. are you saying? Uh, Who are you going for? Uh, reds by five. Reds by five. Okay. Ooh, this is a half one. Um, it's going to be tight. It's going yep. to be like the last few encounters have only been determined by a point or two. I I think that I know the Reds have the ability to get over the line in this one. I'm worried about their kicking. We didn't touch too much on it this week. Uh, James O'Connor did okay, but he did leave a few points out on the field, but I'm going to s- stick with the Reds, say 3. I don't want to go too close to what you've said, but at the same time I do think it's going to be
1: tight. So I'm just going to say Reds by 3. Just wait for your brother to come on and either say reds by two or reds by five and just <laughs> undercut one of us either way. It'll be great. <laughs> and then, like, get it. And then Carlos will just get it smack bang on. So, yeah, and just ruin it for everyone.
0: We'll just wait um, till he puts his pick in and we're like, okay, so it's going to be if he goes high, we know it's going to be a high scoring game. If he goes low, it's going to be
1: Carlos, Carlos is inside of knowledge, I'm pretty sure um there's something happening there but anyway um mate i think we should call it there it's yeah. been a long one but it's been a good one it's had there's been a lot to chat about definitely it's been good
0: so um thanks for joining us everyone for another week of the pick and drive rugby podcast we've put some inf- we've put some stuff up on social media this week so we we put a photo up of the wallabies team that was announced get on there and get let us know what your thoughts were um there's also another thing that the wallabies put out like a bit of a um a hype video for 2020, which was pretty cool. They sort of mashed the Avengers lo- um, Avengers movie trailer with highlights of the wallabies. So I definitely recommend you go out and have a watch of that. That's pretty cool as well. I think I shared that on, on Facebook as well. So definitely get behind
1: that one. Yeah. Get involved. It was, that was an awesome video End game and game it. game. Yeah. And it was just, it was moving oh, right before we finish. Um, the moment in that video where they take Pocock's, man Pocock's thing, off thing off the off the locker, that was like emotional. Because yeah. you just know that this statesman of rugby is no longer a part of the game. And you just think, what what are we gonna do? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I lo- I love that man. It was so it was such a advertisement for the game in so many ways. Yeah. Um, very, the, very much so. Yeah, anyway, anyway, that's another point for another time. Um, but yeah, go time. and watch it, it's awesome. Yep. All right. Let's leave it there. Have a great night, everybody. We'll catch you next week. See you, everyone. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick. Underscore drive underscore rugby, or send us an email at pickandrive rugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.